Blessed are the poor in spirit. You proclaim for they are all participants in the reign of God. Poverty of spirit is the first step to all real substantial happiness. I want to grow into this loneliness of heart, O God. I yearn for genuine Christian humility that flows from a deep sense of your love. That's a prayer that was written by a man named Paul Chilcote, and he had taken the 52 standard sermons of Wesley And he drafted each of those sermons into a prayer for devotional. And this is the one that I've been focused on for the last week or so. Let me read it one more time. It's, It's only parts of the prayer. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you proclaim. For they are all participants in the reign of God. Poverty of spirit is the first step to all real substantial happiness. I want to grow in this lowliness of heart, O God. I yearn for genuine Christian humility that flows from a deep sense of your love. If you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus and then talking more about them. The very first part of the book of Matthew, of the book of, excuse me, of the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew are what is known as the Beatitudes. And I just want to read through all of those through verse 12. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this particular prayer, based on the Sermon of Wesley, is based on chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And I want to just take some time this morning looking at this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's, It's one that I've heard for 40, 50 years of my life, literally. I mean, it's very, very famous in Christian circles to hear those phrase, that phrase. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Isn't that wonderful? And just makes you feel good on the inside. What in the world is he talking about? Well, I understand 
being hungry. How many of you have ever been so hungry that you shook? How many of you have ever gotten a headache from being hungry? Or felt weak? How many of you were so hungry you got sick at your stomach? Isn't that weird? That our body reacts that way? It's because God designed us in such a way that that's an alarm going off. You're running out of fuel. The boiler's about to stop burning. You need to put more fuel in. And the longer you ignore that warning signal for a need for fuel, the greater the alarm begins to sound. And it's not the same as hitting the snooze button on your alarm clock, because you always get the same volume and the same level with that. With hunger, it starts out just as a small little rumbling in your tummy. Mm, man, you can go get something to eat. I'll take care of it. I'm kind of busy right now. Come on, stop it. Knock it off. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Big guts are eating little guts. Sorry about that. <laughs> and then you start feeling icky. And the more you ignore it, the worse it gets. Because God designed us. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a panic mode in your body, literally. Feed me! I'm going to die! Okay? Same thing with thirst. We live in an arid area. We have to tell people who are not from here to carry water bottles with them. Is that not correct? Bob's going, no, I don't worry about it. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, we, if we do not keep ourselves hydrated properly, living in Fairbanks, you get a headache. You end up getting... Your skin gets dry and, and itchy and it's all, you just, it's, your physical being again begins to become a negative experience when you get thirsty. And literally, I, there's a, there's a story that we listen to, uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's this one point where the, the young girl says, but Aslan, I'm so thirsty. I'm going to die if I don't get a drink. Well then, come and drink. I don't want to get a drink because you're standing there by the stream. Can you please move? I'm not moving. You can come get a drink. Do you promise you won't eat me? I make no promises. Come and get a drink. But, but, baby, I'll just go look for another stream because I don't want to come by you and get, in, and get killed. There is no other streams. And the narrator breaks in and says, and Jill didn't even think to question that remark. She just believed him. Then she's standing there with the dilemma. I can face death and get a drink or I can stand here and... I mean, get, face death and not get a drink, or I can go up there and face death and get a drink, because I'm going to die one way or the other. And so she goes up and gets a drink, and then she stops and she says, oh, that was the most wonderful water I've ever tasted in all of my life. It's, it's just amazing. Well, you've never stood before a lion where that was standing across the stream and asked if you could get him to move so you could get a drink. But have you ever been so thirsty that when you finally got that drink of water, it was the most Fabulous, glorious, refreshing water you've ever tasted in your whole world. That's what I believe Jesus was talking about here when he says, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We need to recognize that being in right relationship with God 
is so important to who we are as human beings that when we are not in right relationship with God for whatever reason, that that begins within us a natural thirst and a natural hungering for getting back in right relationship with God. And if you ignore it, you literally face the potential for spiritual death. And that's why the wooing and the drawing and the pangs get worse and worse and worse. So, okay, I'm beginning to understand a little bit about this. So if, if, I'm, going to, if I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, then that, that's a good thing because that's going to bring me wholeness and right relationship with God and my world is going to be in, 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 in equilibrium. Everything's going to be perfect. But it says just above that, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me read that again to us. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And see, Wesley, when he did this sermon and Chilcote, when he did this prayer, he included these two things in the same in the same session. And that's what I was chewing on. What does being poor in spirit and hungering and thirsting for righteousness have to do with each other? And as I've struggled on this, I just want to share with you some of the notes that I wrote down. I don't necessarily have answers to these questions. I just want to share with you what I wrote. And those of us that get together tonight in the uh, in the community group, we'll talk more about some of these questions. But. I wrote as I was reflecting on this poverty of spirit and a genuine Christian humility are phrases that were used in this prayer by Chilcote. What is genuine Christian humility? Chilcote says that this humility flows from a deep sense of God's love. And as I was reflecting on that, I wrote a note to myself and I said, I'm reminded that Renee's dad used to say to us that the people that were at the top of the ladder were always the ones that were content with life. But the ones that you needed to watch out for were the ones that were trying to climb that ladder. Because they'll step all over you trying to get past you to get to the top. And as I thought about that and thought about this idea of genuine Christian humility, I was trying to figure out, OK, well, where does this all play into? And this idea that that I was chewing on just jumped off the page at me. It said, I want to grow in lowliness of heart, God, lowliness of heart. Well, first of all, how do you grow into lowliness? Is it a gift that God gives us? Is it the result of continuous spiritual discipline in my life? Where does lowliness of heart come in? See, being poor, at least in my world, is not a pleasant thing. It is not something that I strive for. I don't want to be poor. I want to be rich. 
Because if I'm rich, then I have resources available to do anything that the Lord calls me to do. I don't want to be lowly. I struggled with self-esteem issues my whole life. I want to live an exalted life. I'm a child of the king, for heaven's sakes. Why should I be lowly? Why shouldn't I live uh, enjoying life and trusting that God's going to meet all of my needs and making sure that I'm walking in, 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 in victory and power? But I hear him saying here, we need to be poor. We need to be lowly. But how can being poor in spirit or lowly in heart be something that is desirable? And as I reflected more on this, this last week, the Lord showed me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, that the one that I admire the most did exactly that. Owned poverty of spirit. Owned lowliness of heart. And let me read to you these verses. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version and it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than, than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I wrote in my reflections to be poor in spirit means then to have the mind of Christ? Jesus' ultimate goal was the overthrow of the enemy's rule over humanity. He desired to redeem the souls of all humanity and to give them safe access back into right relationship with the Father. And to accomplish this goal meant that he had to willingly become poor in his spirit and submit himself to be less than who he knew himself to be. And this is my words, but I truly believe these words came from the Holy Spirit as I was writing them. Because it, they were just flowing as I was writing this in my journal. Let me read that to you again. To accomplish the goal set for him meant that he had to willingly become poor in spirit and submit himself to be less than who he knew himself to be. I am reminded of a friend of mine named Luann. When I worked in the, in the Family Support Center in Texas, Luann was on staff. Luann came from a family um, 
that had been in that area of Texas forever and forever and forever. But she had a sister that didn't live in our area. And I don't remember why she had moved, but she had moved. And Luann's sister was in this absolutely horrible, devastating plight. And Luann had come and asked me to pray for her sister. And I was just beyond any... I expressed to you earlier today, I struggle with faith. I mean, I believe God and I trust Him, but I struggle when it's asking God to do extraordinary things. Luann's sister... Early on in life, had lost an eye, and I don't remember if it was disease or to, to uh, 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 damage, but she literally had lost the eye and had a glass eye. So she had one eye left. She's an adult living this way, and Luann came into my office and said that her sister had gone blind in the other eye. And she was devastated. And she was so frustrated and so upset because she had gone from specialist to specialist to specialist. And the bottom line was, it was determined that Luann didn't have anything physically wrong. They had determined that she had worried herself into blindness. Because you see, when, when Luann's sister lost the other eye, she began to fret Oh my goodness, what's going to happen if I ever go blind in the other eye? I'll be blind forever. Oh my goodness. Oh my. And she literally lived in that fear for years. And one day, the light went off. And she woke up and she was blind. And there was nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with her optic nerve. Nothing wrong with her retina. Nothing wrong with her lens. Nothing wrong with anything. Everything functioned appropriately. She couldn't see. Imagine flashing a light into somebody's eyes and seeing the retina closed down, seeing the, the pupil closed down, seeing everything function right. But the connection wasn't being made to the brain and she couldn't see. And you know what they told her? I was ready to slap them when I heard this. The doctors determined that Luann's sister had worried herself into complete blindness and she was told by the doctor that she would just stop worrying about being blind. Her sight would return. Now, you, can you imagine yourself in that situation? You've lost one eye because of damage. Now you can't see out of the other eye. And you're told, it's all in your head. Don't worry about it anymore. If you just stop worrying about it, it your sight would come back. That is an impossible situation. It is a frustrating situation. Can you imagine the anxiety that was produced in that woman? Now, as I shared that story with myself this week, and as I've shared it with you, I thought about the fact that there's a parallel in that to what we've been talking about. This idea of being poor in spirit, of being lowly in my heart, intentionally. Because see, my goal, it said at the beginning of this prayer, let me go back to it. It said at the beginning of this prayer, Blessed are the poor in spirit who proclaim for they are participants in the reign of God. I am a child of the king. I am. I have access to the entire of eternity, all the resources that God has available. I am a powerful, mighty child and I am a co-heir with Christ. Hallelujah. All of these are true. My goal is is to be a powerful participant in God's reign on this earth. I want to proclaim the truth and see people drop to their knees and do it by faith, not because I'm that great. I want to see 
incredible things being done to bring glory to God through the work that I do on this earth. I want to be able to bring this incredibly huge, humongous crown and lay it at the feet of God and say, I did this all for you, Dad. I love you that much. I did this all for you, everything of my life, and I used all the resources available to me, and I did a, such a wonderful, strong job that I know that you're going to say to me, well done. So see, all of this powerful, I want to do this for you, God, and it's glorious, and I'm going to get a well done. But in order to see that happen, I need to not seek it. I need to be humble. I need to be meek. I need to be lowly in heart. Jesus told a parable that I relate to this. It's found in Luke chapter 14. You don't have to look it up. You can look it up later. I'll just give you a synopsis. He said... When you were invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give this place to this person and you will begin the, 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 the dinner with shame by having to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. But everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For you will be filled. But my goal is not to gain the kingdom of God. And my goal is not to be filled. My goal is to. Humble myself so God can be exalted. My goal is to not put any light on anything that I do. To live in lowliness of heart. Not considering anything of mine of any value. Everything that I do is for his glory. I do not want to attain anything for myself. I only want him to be glorified and his kingdom to be advanced. But I am to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am to walk in the gifting that he has given me. And I am to use it for his glory. And as a result, I am probably going to get some fame or notoriety in the community, if not place else. Because, for example... Say God were to give me or someone in this congregation the spiritual gift of healing. And say you were to come into a sanctuary here in Two Rivers and a sick person were to come forward and ask for prayer and God used you in a powerful and mighty way. You were walking in righteousness as a child of the king and you used the gifting that he gave you and this person was healed instantly. Do you think we'd have more sick people next week? Probably. Now the dynamic and dilemma you are in. I need to be poor in my spirit. I need to be lowly in my heart. I do not need to own this for myself. Because I am nothing. It is all him. It is all him. It is all him. And if I walk in anything other than that lowliness of spirit and heart, 
I am taking away glory from the only one who deserves it. And ultimately, I am hindering the ability of God to advance his kingdom because I'm taking the glory on my own. Philippians chapter 2 told us, Jesus, who himself was God, who had access to everything. He, the scriptures tell us, and the songs tell us, and history tells us, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free from that cross. But keeping his eye on the goal that was before him, the redemption of the world, which could only take place through his lowliness and his submission and his willingness to be less than he knew himself to be. Once he passed through that, then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the only accolade I want as I walk this earth is praise God. I'll get my well done when I get up there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you proclaim, for they are participants in the reign of God. Participants. God will use you in a powerful and a mighty way if you'll let him. Poverty of spirit is the first step to all real substantial happiness. God, I want to grow in this lowliness of heart. I yearn for genuine Christian humility that flows from a deep sense of your love. God, I don't know what else to say. I ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to the hearts of these people. And I ask, Lord God, that you would bring glory to yourself through our efforts. I'm reminded of the song, not to us, not to us, but to you, O Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.